0: Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives, changing lives. Today I want to talk to you for just a few moments about worship. We've been talking about a series of messages entitled, The Power of Habit. And I want you to know, habits are very powerful things. In fact, a habit has the power to hold you. And oftentimes we think about bad habits. Bad habits have the power to hold you. They can hold you in bondage. They can hold you in a grip that... You can't get out of. You say, it's, an, it's a habit I can't shake. So thankful for what we just read. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news. The good news is this. There's freedom to the captives. The chains can fall off of those that are being held back in bondage. If you have a habit that holds you today, I want you to know something. That in the name of Jesus, there can be freedom in his presence today. You don't have to leave here the same way you came. But on the other side of an encounter with him, there's freedom. He said, that's the good news today. I don't know where I'm going with this message now. I'm sorry. I'm just like, all right, Lord, like. I... Amen. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Here's what the Lord says. These people, they come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. There's a statement that I share with our worship ministry a couple of weeks back on a creative night that we had here at the church. And I think it's worth repeating. I said, familiarity breeds contempt. When we become too familiar with someone you become too familiar in a relationship that you have in your life, the more likely you are to take that person for granted and that relationship for granted. The longer you go through the motions doing the same thing over and over again, we talk about the power of habits, the more often that you're going through it as just an exercise of muscle memory, but your heart isn't in it anymore. And so familiarity can breed contempt. And so when we go through the idea of what we would call worship, And God is a God that is worthy to be worshipped. We all know that. We don't come here and sing uh, just because it's something we thought might be a good idea. It's because God is worthy of everything that we could do and say and respond to him with. And worship is a part of our relationship with God. It's such an integral part of our relationship with him. And yet God's heart has been grieved by worship in the past. In fact, God has said before, quit shouting, quit singing. It's, It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Please stop doing it because your hearts aren't in it anymore. I want you to know we can have the most beautiful voice, the most melodic choruses that have ever been sung, but if there is no heart behind it, it doesn't please the heart of God. That doesn't please him as, at all. He said, you keep drawing near to me. That's why when Jesus came, the people that were showing up, and they were the ones that are the main worshipers of the day, He's like, he said the same thing Isaiah said. He said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I believe that that same issue is plaguing the church today, can plague us. We come and we feel that we've participated in worship because we've memorized a few songs and we could sing them along with closing our eyes. But, but I want to tell you, if all you're fixated on is everything else and you're not thinking about the Lord, you're not reflecting on Him, your heart isn't even engaged in what's going on, but it's just a, just a, a muscle memory exercise. You're just going through the motions. We run the risk of being right where God warns His people not to be. Don't draw near to me with your lips and your mouth without your heart being fully engaged. I want to I have a heart that worships God the way that He desires to be worshipped. I want to have a heart that responds to Him in the right way. And I want you to know that when we go through trials, when we go through difficulties, if you've maybe been disappointed at something that's happened, maybe something's happened in your life that has taken the wind out of your sails, and you just feel like someone has kind of punched you right in the gut. Has anyone ever known what that's felt like? You just feel, ah, like I can't breathe, like it's taken my breath away. It's possible that circumstances in our life can have that very effect on us, that they just stop you in your tracks. And in those moments, it's, I believe it's very hard to worship. It's very hard to come with a heart that can be engaged because everything around us is swirling. There are some storms that are on the horizon and in the faces of some of you today that I want you to know that, that it's making it difficult to worship. But I want us When we talk about the power of habit and having some holy habits, some habits in our life, that as we apply them regularly, they can change us. They can change our circumstances. They can change our whole lives and the trajectory of our lives. One of them is around worship. You see, as I think about this idea that, man, our circumstances can just completely take us aside. They can make it hard to worship and to truly press in with our hearts fully engaged. I believe that I've seen in God's Word as we look there's a habit that shows up in the lives of many people in Scripture. And there are some great examples of this habit being applied. And this habit that I want to talk to you about this morning is called persevering in praise. They have a habit of persevering in praise in whatever circumstance that they face. And it's in that place that I believe God brings the greatest freedom, the greatest revelation, the greatest peace. And so it's something that I want us to look to God's word to and really pray, Lord, help me to apply this right now in my life. Help me to be somebody that perseveres in praise, Lord. Help me to be someone that develops this godly habit in my life so that, Lord God, regardless of what life throws at me, regardless of what happens, what comes or what goes, your name will always be praised from my lips and from my heart. That's our prayer today, Lord God. So come now in your presence, Lord God. Grant us the prayer that we have asked, Lord God, in your name, by your power, Lord God. And we know that because of your Holy Spirit, it is possible. So, Lord, we commit this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we are encountered with Paul and Silas, two followers of Jesus who are, uh, after receiving a vision of a man in Macedonia, They go out on a missionary journey, and as they're traveling on this journey, their goal is to go and and meet these ones that need to hear about Jesus. They literally had a vision that they were called to go, and they responded by going. And as they went, they encountered incredible opportunities, but they also encountered incredible opposition. The opportunities came that as they arrived, they arrived in one area called Philippi, and as they came into Philippi, they began to minister, and they were walking towards the place of prayer. And as they were, they began to minister to a group of women there, one of them. She gives her heart to the Lord, and it's Lydia, and she and her whole family come to faith in Christ. Lives are radically transformed. But as they're ministering in that area, there's a servant girl. And this servant girl is a fortune teller. And as she's doing this, she has this ability to kind of speak into people's lives and do all these things while it's demonic at its core. And there are some kinds of demonic beings, some demonic spirits that are in her giving her this ability. And when they come in contact, when she sees these followers of Jesus, when she sees Paul and Silas, she begins to go and and say all these things. These are here. They're here on the name of the Most High. They're here to tell of the way of salvation. And she's like kind of pestering uh, with this continued chanting as she follows Paul and Silas around. Well, the Bible says that Paul gets annoyed, so don't you know it's biblical to get annoyed at times? Um, he gets annoyed, and he just says, "Be gone," <laughs> and the spirit just leaves this girl. Now I want you to know that this girl was not just a captive, but she was also a slave. She was she had a double captivity in her life. She had people that had owned her and were trying to use her for their own gain, and she was a captive to these demonic spirits. Well, Jesus set her free, thank God, praise God, but not everyone's excited about your freedom. I want you to know that today. Somebody today might be profiting off your captivity. Someone today is, is, is cashing in at the expense of your captivity, and when Jesus sets you free, you may not feel that it's very exciting to them. You might actually be faced with opposition because of your freedom. But don't run. Run towards Christ. Continue to press in. This is what happens. There's incredible opposition. This girl's life has been radically changed. But people get around Paul and Silas. They begin to drag them out into the streets. In fact, they actually had them arrested for disturbing all the peace and what was happening there. And when they're thrown into prison, you can just imagine with me, you know, get into that place because you've been there before. You've been just trying to do what's right. You've just tried to, I've just done what's right. I've just honored God. I've just obeyed God. And now look at where I am. You know, you say, Pastor, I feel like you bring up a few of these kinds of examples at different times in Scripture. You know why? Because I think this is one of the easiest places for us to fall prey, to beginning to doubt the goodness of God, beginning to feel like God has abandoned us or left us. It's like, I've done what's right. I've honored God with my life. I've honored God with my actions. And everyone else seems to be doing better. I've done the right thing, and I seem to be suffering for it. Does anyone know what that feels like? I, I don't understand what's going on, Lord. I just followed you, and now here I am in this place of suffering, in this place where, where I don't know what to do. I've been dialed this, this news of bad health. I've been dialed this layoff, this rift notice, whatever it might be, and I don't know what to do, Lord. I'm suffering. I'm, I'm in a trial. I'm stuck somewhere, and I thought I was following you all along. Paul and Silas, they're, they're in a prison. So if you were in their shoes, you'd, you'd feel that. You'd feel some of those kinds of feelings. How we respond in those moments are so important. You see, the habits are those things that are deeply ingrained in us. They become like our natural responses when things happen in our life. Well, I want you to know that my response would not be the same as their response and everyone else in that prison. Their response, you know, when they're in prison, you got the wrong guy, tell me what my charges are, I want to talk to my lawyer, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, whatever it is, they're haggling, pleading, doing anything. For some, they just get really quiet because they're just so upset. Maybe they know they're wrong and they're just frustrated with themselves. But I think there are very few, if any that I could imagine, they'll be doing what they're doing in prison. It's about midnight in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow, what a response! What a response to trial and adversity, circumstances that are not favorable. But what does the Bible say that's happening in the midst of that prison, in the midst of that place? They could have been doing anything. They could have said, God, we want you to save us. They could have just been praying, praying for their deliverance, praying for God to punish the people that put them there, whatever it might be. But instead, they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. They're just praising God in the midst of their jail cell. They're just praising God in the midst of their circumstances. I want you to know something today. It might be hard, but God's still worthy to be praised no matter where you find yourself. There is no circumstance that you could face in this life that God is not worthy to be praised in the midst of. Few of you get it. You're like, yes, I know. Because you've been there. You've been down the road. You've gotten the cancer diagnosis. For some of you, you've still been able to praise God. One of the most powerful moments that I've had in my ministry was to sit with a man in our body that was one of our leaders a couple years back, dying of cancer. Went into his house, and hours before he went to be with the Lord, you know what his di- desire was in, those, in that day? To have a worship service. He just wanted to praise God and, and to hear the sincerity of his faith and to hear him being able to praise God as everything inside of him was failing. And within hours of that, he went from praising God with a group of our pastors and staff and people. Some of you were in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about, to praising God in his presence, being with Jesus. Like there's something that happens inside of a life that no matter what you're facing, you can just praise God and you can just worship him in the midst of it. There's something so beautiful that comes out of a life that can do that. Church, we got to get that into us. We got to have a perseverance that will persevere in praise and lead us. That's what Paul and Silas are doing here. They're just persevering in praise. They're still praising God. You know why? Because they realize that their freedom isn't determined by some prison guard. Their their, their ultimate freedom isn't determined by any leader, by any magistrate. Their freedom comes from Jesus and what he's already done in them. So there is no chain that could hold them. So they'll praise God in the midst of it. And as they do, and as they praise God, Something powerful happens. I want you to know powerful things happen when you praise God in the midst of your storm. The storm starts to change. And in Acts 16:26, suddenly there's such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loosened. When you praise God in the midst of your storm, I want you to know something circumstances change it shakes heaven it touches heaven when that happens the foundations even shake and what happens is freedom comes as an end result of that so all the chains are gone all the all the doors are open and as that happens this man who was holding them this prison guard this Philipp, philippian jailer when that happens and he wakes up and sees what takes place he tries to to take his own life he tries to commit suicide because he figured it's it, it's better than what they're going to do to me if one of these one of these prisoners get out. And before he could do that, Paul and Silas said, don't do anything. We're all still here. Do you know why they're all still there? I believe the prisoners are still standing there. Because of what they just witnessed. And they saw what was, the byproduct of that was really these two men that are singing. It says, everyone's watching them. As they're singing and as they're praising God, everything starts shaking. And then all the cells come up. And you know what I believe all the prisoners are doing at that moment? They're not running. They're looking at Paul and Silas. Like, what are you going to do next? What's like, you got us into this. What's going to happen next? And they begin to share the gospel with this jailer. And praise God, this jailer, he gives his heart to Jesus in that moment. He goes from death to life, literally. And now he's saved. He goes home. His family is saved. They all get baptized. They have Paul over. And God changed his life forever. You know, I love it. I want you to turn with me. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I told you this man was a Philippian jailer. They're in Philippi when all this is happening. Well, later on in Paul's ministry, Paul gets thrown back into prison. And Paul's in prison where he's spending most of the rest of his life. And as he writes to some churches, he writes to the church in Philippi. He writes to this group of believers that we're talking about right here in Acts chapter 16. And as he writes to them, I just got to believe Same way I know some of you are here today and who's in church and you're a part of Evangelical Scotch Plains. As Paul's thinking about this church in Philippi, Lydia and the jailer, his family, they are there, they're a part of this gathering of believers. This letter gets to them. And I know there's at least a few people in that house, in that home, that when they read those words, they can say yes and amen because they saw it lived out in Paul's life. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 1.18. What does it matter? The important thing, that every way whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yet, again, I will continue to rejoice. See that word? For I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me, what has happened to me, it will turn out for my deliverance. He always knows this, and he says, so I rejoice. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed that are of significant and sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is who he's speaking to, this group of believers in Philippi. And he's telling this is what it looks like to live your life in worship to God. This is what it looks like to persevere in praise. He said all these things are happening. He's hearing good things, hearing bad things. He starts to confront some of the bad things that are happening. He said, but I rejoice. I rejoice in this. Because Christ is being praised. I rejoice in all my circumstances because whether it's afflicting me or hurting me, I know my deliverance is coming. I know the one who holds the keys to my freedom. His name is Jesus, and he's already purchased it. It's already done. I I can praise God, so I rejoice. Paul says, I'm rejoicing because my goal in life is for Christ to be glorified in my body. You know what he says in Romans chapter 12? He said we ought to live our lives as living sacrifices. He said, this is our acceptable act of worship unto God that our whole life is meant to be an act of worship unto God. He says, my goal is just to elevate Christ, is just to lift him up, is for him to be glorified in my life. I want you to know, when you come in line with God's plan and purpose for your life, when you begin to live your life in a way that pleases God, you know what happens? You begin to glorify him with your life. It means that he's lifted up. It means that whenever you're doing things that are of his heart, his nature, his character, it's like he's being lifted up. And Jesus said, when I be lifted up, I'm going to draw all men to myself. So the goal of our lives really ultimately should be to worship God, meaning to glorify him, to glorify him through our lifestyle, through our speech, through our conduct, through our witness, through everything that we have. And Paul said, I'll do it in my life. I'll do it in my death. Only thing that matters is that Christ is glorified because for me to live is Christ. I'm living, and I'm living for Christ. To die is gain because I'm in his presence. When we learn that, you know what happens, church? It begins to make it easier and easier for us to persevere in praise. It means that we learn what it means that we can praise him in every circumstance. I want you to know something, that I'm believing that after our time together and as we apply God's word to our lives, you will get to a place where in the good times you will praise the name of Jesus. And in the challenges, your response will be to praise the name of God to lift him up still in the midst of it. And that happens whenever our heart becomes aligned to his heart. The pastor John Piper, a great preacher, he has a a phrase that has just sat in my heart when I heard it for the first time several years ago. I've committed it to memory and and written it in my my journal and prayer journals. I revisit it time and again. Here it is. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we look at God's word, it points us to this reality. That God is most glorified. He's most worshipped in us. He's lifted highest in us when our total satisfaction comes from him. Our problem is this. Our satisfaction ultimately comes from our circumstances. So many of us, your satisfaction comes from your environment. It comes from where you're at. It comes from where you stay and where you live and where you work and who you interact with and how much money is in the bank. Great. Right? Come on, somebody. You know, you feel a lot better at the beginning of the month when the payday happens and when you're stretching it, right? You, your satisfaction level is higher. You know, if you go and stay in a one star hotel versus a five star hotel, your satisfaction level is different. You know how you feel after you get the bill for the five star hotel for the, how your satisfaction level. You know, like all those things happen it's you know what happens our satisfaction is rooted in our circumstances that's where we get all our satisfaction from what's happening around us but is god glorified in that is god really worshiped in that i want you to know if god is only worshiped in your life when you feel like worshiping him when you think that your circumstances make it worthy for him to be worshiped come on somebody when you feel he's done good by you, then you'll worship him. When you feel like things are good, things are going well, I feel like his blessings are pouring out, therefore he's worthy to be worshipped. No, 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 no. His, he's not worthy based on your circumstances. That, doesn't, that isn't what makes him, and it never exempts him from being worthy. Well, Lord, I'm, I'm facing this, so evidently you would understand that you're not worthy to be worshipped. Uh, it doesn't work that way. He's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. So, what happens is we have to find our satisfaction from something else. We have to stop finding our satisfaction from our circumstances. We have to begin to find our satisfaction in the person and presence of God, who He is. You have to find your deepest sense of worth, not from what you have, what you do, who you are, but whose you are. You're His. You're his. You're a child. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High. You're blood-bought. Jesus has redeemed your life. He saved you. He's forgiven you of your sins. You're his now. Your life isn't your own. And that has to bring you such a sense of satisfaction that it's like something this world could never give you. And I want you to know, if you're in Christ, you've experienced that. And for us, we need to awaken to that again, because for some of you, familiarity has bred contempt in your heart. Your heart's far from God. Your worship is memorized and wrote, but your heart's no longer in it. Let Jesus be lifted up again. Find your satisfaction in him again. Let yourself draw everything you have from him. There's no greater example of this than the example of Job. I'll invite you, Pastor Rick, to come on up now. Job is someone that was able to persevere in praise. He was able to persevere in everything that he went through. Everything that he was faced with in his life. If you don't know the story of Job, he's in the Old Testament. He's a man that loved God, but he was a very blessed man. He had a lot of great things in his life. And there's this great struggle that happens. It's this divine bet, wager that's made. Because we get to see from God's perspective, and the enemy, he's there, and he's just tormenting saying all these things back to God. Well, Job's only honoring you and worshiping you because you've given him all these good things. He's only worshiping you because of his circumstances. Turn his circumstances around, and he's not going to worship you and praise you anymore. He's going to curse you. He's going to turn his back on you. His heart's going to go far from you. Just watch. Do you know what happened? In that moment, the enemy knew... The problem with 99.9%, I believe, of humanity is that when our circumstances change, our hearts change. And so much of how we respond to God is based on how we're feeling and what's happening in our lives. He said, test Job in this and watch what happens. And God says, watch what happens. They look into Job's life and we see this tragedies begin to unfold in his life. Suffering comes and visits Job. In a moment... He gets a report from some of his servants about great loss of crops, great loss of family, great loss. So many things that would happen in his life. One of them would have made someone catatonic, I believe. You would have just become speechless. But look at how Job responds. It says, At this, Job got up. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. This is a sign of mourning and grief. And then he fell to the ground in worship. And here's what he said. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. We can't say that, can we? And so many of the things that we face, how hard is it to say that? That when I'm struck with that, with that diagnosis, when I'm struck with that challenge, when I'm struck with that, that mountain that just seems like it could never move to say, Lord, everything I am and everything I have is yours. You hold my life in your hand. May the name of the Lord be praised. When we can live in that way and we can respond in that way, it changes us. It changes everything. Another example of this is David. David had a heart after God. He had a heart that loved God. We see he had a heart that worshipped God. In fact, he penned many of them in the Psalms. But I want you to see how real the worship gets for David. Because there are times when it's not all fun. There are times when he's hiding in a cave. There's an angry king trying to kill him and take his life. There are times when David felt like God was so far from him. Like God had forgotten him. And here's what he says in Psalm 13. How long, Lord? How dangerous would it be if all your thoughts, all your most frustrating moments could be penned down and for thousands of years we get a chance to see how this happened? This is what we get with David. It's like, Lord, how long have you forgotten me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day? After a day and have sorrow in my heart, how long will my enemy triumph over me? Some of you, you've asked those same questions of God in your darkest days. Lord, how much longer do I have to continue to suffer and feel what I have been feeling? But here's where David gets to just a few verses later. But I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices In your salvation, I will sing the Lord praise for he has been good to me. Do you know what happens? David writes, his circumstances don't change the goodness of God. But they're rooted in something different. Here's what I'd say for us today. When we worship, we are not responding to our circumstances. We are responding to God's character. When you worship God, I want you to know you're not responding to your circumstances. You're not responding to what's happening around you. You're responding to the character of God who has saved you, who is in you, who lives through you. That's what you're responding to. You have to go back to that because if the enemy can get you to begin to let your worship be based on your circumstances, it will take this part of your life and your life with Christ and it will just hollow it out because so easily your heart will become void of your worship. You'll know the songs, but your hearts will be far from it. David says, I will trust in you. I will trust you, Lord God. I will praise you for my salvation. I will do these things, Lord God, because you're faithful and you're worthy to be praised. My wife, Mandy, I love her heart for worship. And as I was talking to her about the message that God had put on my heart for today, she shared a quote with me that she had written down in one of her prayer journals. And it's one that she had um, she had remembered for many years back. And it was by Matt Redman, who's Penned a number of great songs that we've sung and worshiped to. Here's what he says He says, The heart of God loves a persevering worshiper who, though overwhelmed by many troubles, is overwhelmed even more by the beauty of God. Come on, somebody, whenever it comes to the many things that we can be overwhelmed by, if we can just lift our eyes so we know where our help comes from. We know there is a God who is good, a God who is worthy to be praised, a God who is faithful and unfailing, whose arm is not too short. His reach is not such that he can't meet us right where we are. And our response then is to persevere and praise him through everything that we have, to praise him even when things aren't great, to praise him in every season under the sun because he's worthy of it. So how do we persevere in praise? We do it by understanding God better. So it starts with the first thing we talked about in the Power of Habit series, being in the word of God daily because it's there you understand his character. It's there you understand his promises. It's there you understand who he is and who he's been and who he is to you in this moment. And in those moments, you can begin to apply his word to your life and to your circumstances so you can experience his presence. So you see that. You see his promises and his character. So you got to spend time daily, as we talked about. We gave a challenge. It's at least 10 minutes a day in the Word of God. Last week we talked about this that we need to have intimacy and dependency on God in prayer. It's in the place of prayer and reading the Word that becomes a foundation of worship in your life. As you're looking to God's Word, you'll see how His Word begins to influence your worship. You'll see as you're praying and seeking Him how you can be truly vulnerable and authentic. When I said this, I said, when you come to God in worship, think of Psalm 13, be vulnerable and authentic with God. Don't come to him and pretend like everything is okay. If it's not okay, Lord, you could say, Lord, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I know. Here's what's happening all around me. But make sure, church. Just as David, you say that, but you get back and stand and land on the power and the praise of God. But in spite of this, Lord God, I will praise your name because you're worthy, because you're faithful, because your love is unfailing, because you've saved me and redeemed me, because you're my healer. Be authentic with him, but make sure you land and stand on the praise of God. So today, we're going to apply this to our lives. We're going to apply this worship. And we're going to take time in this moment. I want people that maybe you haven't praised God in a while. It hasn't come from the depths of your heart. Could we end this time today with just a time of praising him, of lifting up his name? For somebody today, you felt like you're in a pit of despair. I want you today to stand to your feet and begin to praise the name of Jesus again. For some of you, you've grown so faint that you feel so worn down. Would you just be able to lift your voice to him again right now? Come on, let's all stand to our feet all around this room. Let's begin to, with our own words, just praise the name of Jesus, to praise God, In the midst of your circumstance, Lord, we thank you today that you're worthy of our praise, Lord God. You're worthy of everything that, Lord God, we could give back to you as a response, Lord God. Today, we respond to your character. We respond to your goodness. We respond to your faithfulness, Lord God. You are good, and your love endures forever, Lord God. So we lift praise to you today. We praise you, Lord God. We praise you from the depths of our being, Lord God, as a response to your goodness and your love in every season. Church, come on, let's do this from the bottom of our hearts. Let's sing this song. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Let's make it not just our song, but let's do it from the depths of our heart today. And let's make this our response to God from his word this morning. Amen. Amen. if you want to come forward, we're going to spread out at this altar and just spend these last moments before we dismiss praising God and lifting him up in worship. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.